Help I Got a Mac podcast episode number 119. Entertaining, educational, and encouraging content that makes a difference. This is GSPN.TV. Join the community. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Help, I Got a Mac. My name is Cliff Ravenscraft, and today we are going to be doing a special show because I am running solo. That's right. Chris Biting had some other obligations at his workplace, and so therefore uh, it's leaving me here in the studio to cover all that is good in the world of Apple all by myself. Well, okay, I'm not alone. You're you're here with me, so that's cool. All right, so here's the deal. Normally, Chris follows up on all the story and news of the week and and stuff like that, so uh, he's not here to do that. And because of that, I've decided I was going to go out and find some news stories, kind of just peruse a couple of things that I had, uh, you know, starred in my Google Reader as I was perusing through the feeds out there this week, and... If I am missing some kind of huge, gigantic story that it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this wasn't covered on Help, I Got a Mac. Well, sorry. You know, a matter of fact, I was listening to a little bit of Mac Break Weekly this week, and I think I heard them say that there was some refreshes to the the white MacBook. I have no idea. Uh, I, I, I would assume since I heard it there that it's true, and so you could probably go check that out. But here's what I do know. All right. First and foremost, I understand that the latest version, the latest beta version of the 4.0 iPhone software had been released to developers. And there's a lot of rumors going on about the fact that um, AT&T might actually include tethering in the next uh, version of the software that they, they may have allowed Apple to finally turn this thing on. Now, there's screen captures over there in the reports that are online that basically says, okay, hey, here's this is for AT&T tethering. To activate it, you can send a text message or you can call us. Or no, no, no. I think it says um, to activate AT&T tethering to your account, you can call customer service at 611 or you can go to a certain website address and, and activate it on your account there. So I'm excited to hear that this is possibly finally coming to AT&T. Uh, I'm not sure if it's going to convince those who are currently using an older phone and have it jailbroken and have tethering for free uh, to switch over. Personally, I don't mind having the ability. I don't mind paying for tethering myself, you know, especially since I do have a Wi-Fi only version of the iPad. I would love to have sanctioned AT&T tethering and I would be willing to pay for it. Provided that it works really well and that the cost is, you know, not absorbent. So, you know, especially if, if they were to give, let's say, that $29.99 unlimited data plan, the same with, you know, the same that's offered to um, the iPad 3G users. Well, you know, that could be extremely worthwhile. If it's more than that, we'll, we'll kind of see, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Give me a call 859-795-4067. Let me know. All right, the uh, next story that I found here is that I heard that iPads are going to be used as an in-flight entertainment system on flights uh, in the near future. In fact, the story says this. It says, Blue Box Avionics, 
which is inter- is going to be introducing a customized iPad for airlines, and it's going to be called the Blue Box AI, the world's first iPad in-flight entertainment system. And it says here, Blue Box AI units have reportedly already been approved to offer in-flight entertainment content and will give passengers the full iPad experience, including access to iPad games and apps, iBooks, consumer magazines offered through uh, Xenio, and airline-specific custom applications. So this sounds very interesting, and you know it makes a lot of sense. This this the iPad. I can't think of any better device to have on an airplane. Now I don't do a lot of flying myself right now. Um, but I will tell you that I have certainly been on some flights and I've taken laptops in the past and it's not a fun experience trying to get the, um, you know, trying to get a laptop in and out of your carry or your carry on or your briefcase and stuff like that, you know, with that cramped quarters, it's just not a lot of fun. And then of course, you know, setting it up on the tray or in your lap, it's, it's not the greatest experience. That's all I got to say about that. But I will tell you that I, I, knowing what I already know about my iPad and the fact that, you know, I put it in my little in-case convertible book jacket, I know for a fact I could literally carry this thing on in my hands, stick it in the little magazine pouch until we're ready to take off and then just pull it out. My only fear would be that I might possibly leave my iPad in the little magazine pouch, which would not be cool at all. Anyway, the fact that uh, airlines are thinking about using this as an in-flight entertainment system, I think it's very cool. I think it's surprising, however, that Apple would um, authorize somebody to purchase a bunch of these and then actually brand it as something else, the Blue Box AI. Although I can only imagine that that would, you know, I I don't know. I'm thinking that wouldn't they, to be able to make this something that would work in this way that they would have to actually have some kind of customized operating system. And, and the fact that Apple would open it up for that, that that's interesting news all of its own. So, you know, Hey, we'll see there. There's talk that, you know, that it's going to be rolled out to some airlines here pretty soon. So, you know, we'll, we'll see if it happens. If you ever fly on a plane and you actually see uh, an iPad in front of you with this special thing, give us a call. Let us know how it worked out. 859-795-4067. All right. The next thing uh, that I have in the news here is that Apple is acknowledging and they actually prepare to patch a bug in the iPad, which is the uh, to the you know, to the Wi-Fi that's on the iPad. Now, this has been something that's been reported ever since the day of the launch of the iPad. What happened is that Uh, A lot of people went home and they realized that even though they were in a spot in their home, uh, that they recognized that their signal for their Wi-Fi was very low. You know, the little bars at the top just didn't show that it had a good, solid connection. And uh, and I guess randomly, the the little little Wi-Fi signal indicator at the top would just disappear. It would just go away. Now, I want to let you know that I have seen this happen as well. You know, I've, I've seen a very small signal in, in spite of the fact that I'm sitting right next to my airport uh, wireless router. And I have seen randomly that it, you know, it will disappear, blink out for a second and then come right back. I it, It's really not been that big of a deal. Um, I find that, you know, I'm not using the Wi-Fi all the time. 
Uh, and when I'm browsing the web, it kind of, you know, if if anything, all this, matter of fact, it just disappeared and came right back right as I was just now talking. Uh, and it was like a blink of, a, I mean, just a second. But anyway, what would happen is if I'm in Safari and I'm browsing around, technically what happens is I'll go to the site and and it might take maybe a half a second longer because it lost its connection for just a second and then came right back. Really wasn't anything I noticed. I think that it may be the culprit, however, of when doing some streaming video where the streaming video might actually just cut out. But then again, uh, when I'm experiencing that, that could be bugs within Netflix and or the ABC player. So I'm not sure if I can really blame it on the Wi-Fi uh, bug that they're actually admitting to having now. But the good news here is that they are planning a bug fix for the Wi-Fi uh, with the next uh, operating system update. Uh, so... This is good news, so or at least not the next OS update, but uh, the next patch for the current OS. Um, doo -doo -doo -doo, let's see here. Then, and the final story that I was able to find, or not that I was able to find, that I chose to find this morning because of time constraints. Uh, Hulu has planned a ten dollar a month subscription service for advanced content and access here. Get this via the iPad. All right, so basically what, what's going on here is there's been a lot of story, a lot of speculation about Hulu. Now, for those of you who don't know who, what Hulu is, I'm not sure what rock you've been under. But anyway, Hulu.com, H-U-L-U.com, has been an online streaming video service where you can go and download or go and stream uh, some movies and a lot of television content. And it, it, it's a pretty decent service. Um, I know I've watched significant amounts of uh, television, catching up on some prior episodes of shows that I've missed on TV. And uh, just as I was recording this, by the way, the iPad uh, Wi-Fi signal just dropped again for a half a second and went and came right back. Um, you know what? Now that I'm running the story, I actually noticed it a lot more. But anyway, Hulu is a site where you can watch a lot of television. And of course... There's been a spe speculation that, you know, that they would make it, you know, a version of their site that would be available via HTML5, much in the same way that many other th services like YouTube and some other places are going to to kind of, um, you know, make these videos viewable on the iPad. Well, Hulu fired back and said, you know, there's absolutely no way we're ever switching over or at least not anytime in the near future uh, over to HTML5. And the reason for that is... Um, is security, uh, mostly the security of their content, the ability for them to keep their content from being easily stripped and turned into digital files that people can share offline. And also they mentioned the fact that, you know, the bringing in advertising is not as easily done via um, HTML5 as easily as it does work and, and easily automating and interstitially including advertising uh, into Flash, uh, among other things. But anyway, here here's the situation. What happened is, uh, I guess there's a way that even though you don't create all your your well tr retransition your website into um, HTML5, there is a way I guess that you can take your content and make it available and kind of secure it down in a an apple in an application on the iPad. So. From I guess it appears that the iPad is actually going to get a, Yuhu, or a Hulu 
application. There's no idea of when this is coming, but the good news is that one is coming. Uh, now, they are talking about a $10 a month subscription service. I don't know that I'd be interested in paying $10 a month for television. Uh, and I know that that's exactly what they want people to do. They want to get use, people used to this. And I'm all for advertising in the TV shows. I know that I watch a lot of stuff on the um, ABC player, and the ABC application, and I don't mind the advertising there at all. I think it's done extremely well on that, and and I can watch the content for free. So, I I, I would I would much rather see each of the networks have their own ABC player type application, and forgo Hulu altogether. And I think if Hulu goes to a ten dollar a month subscription plan, you know it, it it just seems a little odd that they would do that. Um, the one thing I had heard, and again, you know, I don't keep up on this stuff as much as I should. I've heard that the $10 a month plan that the most recent for, you know, two to five, two to five episodes will be available for free, available to the public. But if you want to see any kind of back episodes, that's what your $10 a month is going to get you. And I guess there's value in that, but, you know, I don't know. Of course, you know, as much as I do podcasting about television, I'm not a huge television viewer. Now, with that said, I did get the Netflix application, and as a result of having the Netflix player or application on my iPad, I actually resubscribed to Netflix, and I'm loving it. Uh, I love the fact that on Netflix, I'm able to watch stuff, uh, you know, all these instant viewing content on my iPad. Very good quality, by the way. Um, and I've watched several movies and 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 TV shows uh, right from the iPad while on the treadmill up at the YMCA because they got decent Wi-Fi there, and and so that that's useful. Uh, not to mention the fact that with Netflix I can also watch streaming movies via our our Nintendo Wii on the big uh, screen television. It looks really good there as well. And we still we went with the cheapest plan that still allows us to get one DVD movie mailed to us at a time and and of course that you know with mailing time that can be one to two movies a week that you have the ability to watch uh via the dvd rentals so uh it, it, it's definitely worth it now you know i'm not sure if it's worth the same amount of money just to have access to television programs perhaps this here's here's what i would say on the television thing and on the hulu thing my problem with these streaming services is that there's really a lack of consistency of when the content is made available on these services. You know, um, the Doctor Who series is available on iTunes. Uh, this is the BBC America version of it. And it sometimes it's there the next week, sometimes it's not. Uh, Biggest Loser on, on Hulu. Sometimes it's there, you know, in a couple days, sometimes it takes a week. You know, I I think for me to be able to pay 10 bucks a month for something, I'd pay 10 bucks a month to be guaranteed that, you know, as long as all of my favorite shows were on there and all of the shows were available the, you know, at 12.01 a.m. or by 6 a.m. the next morning on on the device. Outside of that, you know, with if, if things continue to be the way they are and you just never know when something's going to actually show up on Hulu, eh, I'm not that excited. Anyway, so that's really all the news that I pulled out. Those are the ones that I found most exciting. But again, if there's product launches and and all that other stuff that's out there uh, in the world of Apple, I apologize. I don't have any other news to share with you this week. 
perhaps Chris will get us caught up next week. Now, I've got some audio feedback here before I get into the main topic of what I'm going to share today, uh, which, of course, is an update on my world of living a Mac-only life. Uh, But before I do that, let's go ahead and first turn to Mitchell, who wants to talk about Mac the Ripper software. Hey, Cliff and Andy, this is Mitchell calling for the Help I Got a Mac podcast. I had just downloaded Mac the Ripper so I could uh, burn a couple of DVDs to put on my iPhone, and I wanted to convert them into MP4, and uh, Visual Hub was recommended to me. And when I went to download Visual Hub, I noticed that it's no longer available for download. So I was just wondering if you had any recommendations for uh, a good program to uh, convert the files into MP4. Uh, Free is good, but I'm certainly willing to pay for a program that um, works really good. So if you have any thoughts, let me know. Thanks so much. Be blessed, my friends. All right, Mitchell. Yes, I do have a recommendation for you. I need you to just go to google.com. And once you're there, just do a search for two words. Video Monkey. Video Monkey. And in fact, it's I, I can just tell you, just go to videomonkey.org. And uh, basically, I'm going there now just to confirm. It says this is where you can keep up to date. Uh, yeah, so, so Video Monkey. This is a piece of software that took the original Visual Hub um, code and has he's continued to develop on it. Of course, it's an open project. And when the guy who created and founded the Visual Hub software, when he quit doing it, he says, listen, here's the code. It's all open. I want I want somebody else to continue it. I just don't have time to support this thing anymore. And so there are several derivative works. But from what my experience is, uh, Video Monkey uh, t- took it and took it to the next level. It is still free. It's still out there, and it works with the most recent versions of Mac OS X. So, there you go, Mitchell. Uh, VideoMonkey.org. All right, we're going to turn next over to uh, John, who says that uh, they're a Mac family now. So let's listen to this. Hey, Cliff. Hey, Chris. This is John from Houston calling for the Help I Got a Mac podcast. I'm calling you this morning to let you know that I officially have jumped. Uh, on board and have become a uh, full-fledged Mac family at the household. Uh, we decided that we were in the market to go ahead and buy a new iMac. We had never we had a MacBook. Uh, well, yeah, a MacBook, a white MacBook, 13-inch that we you know had in the household. We've kind of uh, dove ourselves into the Mac uh, product lines between that and then we just recently got our iPhones, which I called about. Uh, now we've got ourselves a 21 and a half inch iMac coming uh, from Cupertino. Um, wanted to go over some of the specs for you and just uh, ask you, you know, what you what you kind of thought about it. Um, I ended up getting a 21 and a half inch iMac with the uh, the the of course the Core 2 Duo, the 3.3 gigahertz uh, processor. Um, memory, I upgraded the memory to the the four sticks of uh two gig that you know they gigabyte um i ended up getting a two terabyte uh drive just because we we consume so much memory with our pictures that i like to have one big place to put it then you know of course back it up online and have a you know a third backup to an external hard drive you know basically you know have ways back up but have that big huge massive chunk of memory just seems so appealing um we ended up as i said going on going with that uh 21 and a half inch and I I, I was uh, I was so 
so torn to get the 27 or the 21 and a half, but you know, I, I, I looked at it and I just, I just realized that if I got that 27 half inch and I put that thing in my office, I'm going to want to use that thing as a theater. Just at that, at that huge size, at, at, at that beautiful screen, it's just going to become a theater and our office has no room for any more chairs. So I went with the more, you know, logical approach. I got the 21 and a half inch and I am just, you know, it's like waiting for Santa to come from the North Pole right now. Because I'm looking and I'm trying to see, you know, when it when is it coming down. So, anyway, guys, I'll give you a phone call back when I get it and let you know how it feels. All right. Thanks. Bye. All right, John. Thank you for the feedback. And uh, congratulations on becoming a Mac-only family. Uh, that is very awesome stuff. I'm going to give my experience here as being a Mac-only uh, person myself. As far as my thoughts on your uh, perspective of, of what you're purchased or what you have purchased, I think it sounds great. The fact that you've got, you know, a three three plus gig uh, processor and eight gigs of RAM. That thing is going to be a power machine, my friend. Um, it, it definitely is going to do pretty much anything and everything you want to do with it. And it's going to be blazing fast. I mean, absolutely blazing fast. And not to mention the fact that the, the nice, you know, the form factor of the iMac, it, it's just, it's just fun and pleasant to work with. The only thing that concerns me is a two terabyte hard drive. Oh my goodness. But I, no, seriously, that's great. The only thing is, is I would suggest, you know, what are you going to do to back that thing up? I mean, obviously, you know, you, you if you fill that, you, you get it to about a terabyte and a half of data on there, which I'm sure you'll eventually do. The question is, you know, are you going to have like a, you know, a three or four terabyte drive uh, for backup? Or, you know, or even online backup, you know, where where are you going to store a backup for a two terabyte drive? But, you know, hey, honestly, with as much video work as I'm doing right now, I almost wish I had a two terabyte drive. In fact, I haven't even looked at mine. I, I, I got mine. My Mac here has a one terabyte drive. I'm going to look real quick and just tell you how much space I've used already. And uh, we'll see. Let's see here. My data available uh, capacity is one gig and I'm already at 644 gigs. Actually, no, no, no. I've only used 355 gigs so far. So I've got 644 gigs left. I guess I'm doing pretty darn well on my one terabyte hard drive. But anyway, I do have a, I have a one terabyte hard drive in my Mac here and I actually have a one terabyte backup drive. So, so far it seems to be going pretty darn well. Pretty darn well. Anyway, congratulations on that purchase. I think it sounds great. The only thing I think could make it better is 27 and a half inch, but you obviously made uh, some decisions there. You went for more power instead of size, and I went for more size instead of power. Um, and I'm sorry that, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter one way or the other. It, it's just whatever is most important to you. And to be honest with you, you know, if you get a, if, if the only thing I would say is if I had a 21 and a half inch iMac, I would definitely want to get a dual monitor. So, and of course, you can get any kind of monitor out there. HP makes these great 16 by 9 monitors for about 200 bucks. I mean, it's it's just unbelievable. And that, that's like a 21 inch. So you could actually put it right next to your other one and you you can rock with that. So it would be great. All right. So um, what I want to do is... Uh, now I want to share with you what life has been like. It's it's been, I, I don't even know how long it's been now. It's been a is it been a couple months that I've had my twenty seven inch iMac, 
I want to share with you um, an update of what it's like to have life, to live life as a Mac only user. I have not used a PC as a primary computer since I have, um, and Chris is in the chat room. He's, he says, sorry, dude. Uh, no problem, Chris. Uh, he says, it's been about three months since I've had my iMac. And uh, I want to tell you that it's been that long since I've used the PC as my primary computer. Since then, I've actually destroyed a PC laptop. Uh, I'm still beating myself up that I didn't get YouTube video made of me destroying that laptop because it it was a piece of trash. And I never wanted my wife to have to use it again. Not to mention the fact that it had tons and tons of issues and stuff. So anyway, um, I do have a PC on the other side of this table. And the only reason I have it is because I'm using it as a print driver uh, or is that right? Print driver? Yeah, it's it, it's basically uh, I'm using it to fire up my my old printer and and things of that nature. Eventually, I'm going to get myself a good wireless printer for the studio here. And until then, I'm just using it to uh, to uh, or print server is what I meant. So uh, that's the only thing it's being used for. And actually, no, it's also being used for my um, my scanner over there. Be- and and there's really no reason for that. I need to bring the scanner over. But um, I, I just don't use those things very often, so I haven't made room for them over here on the on on the Mac side of things. But I, I certainly don't feel compelled to ever go back to Windows. Um, I will say this: the fact that I am a Mac only user and feel so comfortable with this because I do have Windows running in Parallels five all the time. Um, it it is it is up and running uh, on my computer all the time. But the only time I ever use it is to use Adobe Audition uh, and also to um, uh, tag my MP3 files when I'm done recording them. So when this file is done recording, I'm just going to drag and drop it over to my computer and it's going to immediately uh, be run through Adobe Audition in uh, my Windows XP on my MacBook or on my iMac. And then, of course, I'm going to tag that file with a Windows-based program. And then, of course, I'm going to use a uh, FTP client on the Mac side to upload it to my media file host. So I do use Windows and stuff like that. And I will be honest with you, if I didn't have Windows and couldn't use Adobe Audition, are there Mac alternatives? Yes. Would I be happy or satisfied? Absolutely not. It's the one thing that the Mac is missing is Adobe uh, Audition. Uh, but, um, yeah, I, I still feel strongly about that. Now with, now, with that one exception, everything else I do is certainly in the Mac side of things. And I want to tell you a couple things, my thoughts on this. First and foremost, I want to tell you that the 27-inch screen has, has personally has eliminated my need for a secondary monitor. And I can prove this to you because right on the other side of this table is a 21-inch uh, LCD monitor, that that HP monitor that I was just telling you about. I have one. Very, very awesome quality of picture on it. And uh, I, could, I could certainly use that. There's plenty of room in here in my studio to use that as a secondary monitor. And not once has I, have I even considered adding that as a secondary monitor monitor here and so um there's just no need for it 27 inches i'm able to i'm able to pull up two 
or even three web browsers and put them all side by side and and be typing and looking at these other sources of information. It, it's just unbelievable. So 27 and a half inches has really, for me, it's eliminated my need for a dual monitor setup. Um, as far as uh, some other things that I use, some other features, I really, now that I'm using a Mac all the time and I try to keep all my programs running, you know, pretty much simultaneously, which I can do even with the included four gig of RAM that came with it. Um, I will tell you, I, I use spaces a lot. And if you guys haven't used spaces, it is awesome. What spaces will do is it actually gives you the ability. I, I don't know how many you can do. I don't, maybe it's nine, 12 or whatever, but you have this ability to have different desktops and you can actually program it to where certain programs will always lo load on a certain desktop. And you can actually thumb through these. You can spin through these. There are all kinds of options to get to different spaces. So what I could do is like, for example, if I hit command five, it basically took away everything that was on the screen and took me to a blank desktop that only runs iTunes. Uh, that's the only thing that's running there. If I go to space six, there's nothing there now, but if I had my, um, my screen flow, which is my video editing software, it would be right there. If I go to you know screen eight, I re I'm just now realizing that I, I left Photoshop elements open. And, and so it, it's sitting there, it's running, it's open all the time for me. If I go to screen, you know, to space two, that's where my windows XP is. And that's where it's up and running all the time. So I use spaces consistently and it is awesome. It, it, it's, it's like I have eight, I mean, in a, and again, I'm only using, you know, eight spaces, but it's, it's like I have eight desktop computers right in front of me all the time. Now I will tell you that I what that on space one space one is my default space. It's the space where I open up all you know most of my programs. Anything that's not um, default you know doesn't have a programmed space of its own. I'll open it up. And one of the the pr features that I am using a lot, and I think it's called Expose. And uh, and on the little aluminum keyboard, it's the F three key. If you push that, I use this feature a lot now. Uh, because I'll have a lot of things open and I'm like, oh, I need that. I need access to that one window. And instead of like on the PC where you have to, and, and of course, maybe Windows 7 and all that other junk does that now. I don't really care. But um, but rather than having to minimize or move things around, I can just hit F3 uh, or the expose key. And it gives me a good clear shot of all the different windows that are open on this space and I can actually say, oh, this is the one I want. And then I can click it and it brings that one to the foreground. And I really, I really love that feature. So I am using the expose feature a lot. Um, another thing that I am doing here uh, with my Mac and that I've enjo uh, enjoyed playing around with is I've finally been dabbling again in iMovie. Now, I don't like iMovie at all. Um, and in fact, I, I pretty much despise it. But they do have some neat, fun little transitions uh some little some little um i guess graphic animated effects of switching between one scene to the next it's kind of neat i like some of those so i've been using it just for that just to play around with it i still despise the fact that it doesn't have a timeline um you know a standard typical timeline with layers uh it, i'm a my mind is a layer type of uh, mind and that's how I process and 
and think of things and and I'm sure I could get in there and I could do some video tutorials on how to do things and how to do, you know to, to accomplish all the things I want to do within it I just don't it number one I don't have the time to and number two I really have little desire because screen flow is even better but I have been dabbling in uh, iMovie 09 and I might even play with it a little bit more in the future we'll see I want to tell you that I absolutely have fallen in love with Time Machine. It is amazing. It is it is so cool. Uh, there there is there have been two occasions where I've accidentally deleted a file and didn't realize it until either a couple days later or even two weeks later. And the fact that um, every single thing is archived, going by date and by folder location, it is just awesome. Uh, the only the only thing I don't like about Time Machine is that I feel so confident in it that I still haven't got around to creating that online backup version of everything. So you know it, it it's great. I I mean I feel pretty darn confident if the, my hard drive fails in my external drive, I should probably end up knowing about it pretty quickly, and and then I'll just have to get another one and it'll create a new Time Machine backup for me. Or if the hard drive fails in my iMac, I feel pretty confident that everything's going to be right there on my time machine drive. So I feel very confident in that. But the thing is, is what if there's a tornado or or a fire or something like that and I lose both the, uh, the hard drive in both the iMac and the external drive? That's the only thing that I don't have a, a, a good sense of uh, security about. And so I just haven't gotten around yet to firing up either Mosey or Carbonite or one of these other services. And eventually I'll get around to doing that. But for right now, I want to tell you I'm in love with Time Machine and I feel very secure with its backup. All right. And I love the fact that it does it in the background. It really doesn't take up a lot of resources. I haven't noticed it slowing anything down while it's backing up. It just works and it's running all the time. All right. Um, I already mentioned that I'm using Parallels 5. And I want to tell you, when I back in the old days of when I first got my MacBook, I installed Parallels 3, I think, at the time. And uh, I want to tell you, actually, it was Parallels 2.5, and then I got 3. And, I, and I'll tell you that back then, you know, it, it was dog slow. Um, it took up all the resources. It could be the fact that I only had 2 gigs of RAM in my MacBook and the MacBook was, you know, definitely not as a powerful of a, as a, of a system. But what I noticed in the old days with Parallels 3 and Windows XP is that it worked perfect right as soon as I installed it. But after some time, it kind of started getting a little sluggish to the point where it almost was unresponsive after, you know, 6 or 7 months. Well, I will tell you this, it's been 3 three and a half months now. And my Windows XP and Parallels 5 is running just as fast fast and just as snappy as it did before. I don't run it in coherence mode. I like the idea of having Windows have it have its own little sandboxed window. Uh, so I, I, I like that. The other thing that I will say is that I really enjoy the fact that it has the ability to share the file system. So even though everything's inside, it's all self-contained into this one little packaged folder, you know, this dynamic packaged folder on uh, on the Mac. Um, I love the fact that it can share the file system so that the desktop on my Mac is the same as the desktop on my um, on my Windows XP. 
Now, this is an option. You can turn it off or turn it on. But here's what I love. I actually take the the SD card and plug it into my iMac. I drag and drop the file that I'll record here right now, you know, after I'm done here. I'll drag and drop that onto my desktop. And I just go to space two and I refresh the screen on my Windows XP. And boom, that file is already there. I drag it into Adobe Audition. I run the process on it, save it. I tag the file in Windows XP, and as soon as I'm done tagging it, I look at my I look at the Mac desktop, and the new tags are already automatically automatically reflected, and I can just immediately take that file from my Mac desktop and then upload it to the web. I really am enjoying Parallels Five and the use of Windows XP. It's really really awesome. Uh, as far as my graphics program that I use to edit graphics and things of that nature to, to do some effects, uh, to make images transparent or to update some images. I, I was using Photoshop on my PC. And in fact, I went all the way out and got that Photoshop CS4 thing, spent way too much and, and stuff like that. When I, you know, it was one of those things like, man, am I going to install this? I can move this Windows based program and I could put it in my Windows XP here on the system. But I really wanted to be all Mac. I wanted to be a Mac native as much as possible. So what I decided to do was I went ahead and um, downloaded uh, Photoshop Elements, and when I and I got Photoshop Elements version 8.0, and and when I did that, I will tell you that I realized that everything that I ever used in Photoshop is all available in Photoshop Elements, and so. I went ahead and downloaded that, used the free trial period, and eventually ended up buying it at the end of the trial period. So I am now using Photoshop Elements, and it rocks. Love it. All right, so on my recording side of things, I used to use a program called Pod Producer to queue up all the audio clips like this or like that. And, uh, of course, you heard the opening of, the, of every show we do has... Entertaining, educational, and encouraging content that makes a difference. So I, I was using a pod producer to do that stuff on the PC, and I was wondering whether or not I would have the ability to find a replacement for that, and I looked into several. I looked into, first I tried Soundboard. The only problem is, is I have Wave uh, uh, audio recordings that come in via voicemail, and they sounded funny unless I reformatted them. So obviously, I didn't want to reformat 50 you know, voicemails a week. So I decided to not go that route. I tried Ubercaster. And the problem was is that Ubercaster uh, had, mem- I guess it had memory leaks or something like that. But it just, it just pretended as though my computer wasn't, quote unquote, powerful enough to play their audio clips. And, it's, and it almost felt like maybe I needed to just upgrade to go to, you know, from four to eight gigs of RAM. And that might fix it. Well, I'm glad I didn't do that, and instead I found a program called Soundbite, and Soundbite is really cool. It plays all the audio formats, has all the functionality that I have that I need, minus one piece of functionality, and that is it does not do a true loop of audio. Uh, so I I do have some loops that I use, and uh, would love to have it repeat over and over again without a pause in the middle at the end. Uh, but you know, hey. It, it, it works really great. And the really cool thing about this program called Soundbite is that it has an iP- I, iPhone version of the software where I can remotely via Wi-Fi queue up audio clips anytime I want. So, uh, so yeah, there's another Mac 
program that I found that I absolutely love that replaces something I did on the PC. Uh, as far as um, as far as FTP clients transferring files up and down from the net, uh, I will tell you that I had always used FileZilla on the PC side th- of things. Well, I used to use Qt FTP and and a bunch of other things. But anyway, um, they have a FileZilla for the Mac, and I will tell you, it is horrid. I mean, it is absolutely horrible. Uh, so I have been using Cyberduck to do my FTP transfers, and I will tell you that F, uh, that Cyberduck gets the job done. I don't like it, uh, I don't love it, but it gets the job done, and it's the it's the one that I'm using. And I know that there are plenty of other ones out there, and I hear a ton of people talking about Transmit. Yeah, not so much for me. I, I I just you know I find something that works and works well. It works well enough to do the job that I'm doing. And really, simple. All I'm doing is I'm simply uh, uploading files to the web, dragging and dropping files. And so yeah, it works. It gets it done. I'm also using Dropbox. Uh, I work Drop Dropbox is a program that allows me to sync folders. I I do have. Um, you know, a Mac mini over here and I have this Dropbox folder that everything that's on that folder is also on, is on every computer that I basically want it to be on. Now that PC that I still have in my studio that's running as a print server and it helps me to scan stuff uh, on my scanner, every now and then I'll have to scan a signature and, and do an electronic fax. So I'll go over there and I'll scan it, save it as a PDF document, and then I just drop it in my Dropbox folder. I come right back over to my Mac, open up my Dropbox folder, drag it over to my uh, program that I'm going to use to do my eFax, and then boom, it's gone. So I do love the fact that I have Dropbox, and I and Dropbox is an amazing program to have, my friends. Um, and of course, I want to say uh, that I have found that there are about three file folders that I use on a consistent basis that I would just drill into all the time. One is my Documents folder. Another one is called Audio Clips, and another one is called Show Prep. And I, I basically have drugged these things down to my doc so that these three file folders are a part of my doc. And when I click on them, you can actually have it fan out all the contents, or you can do a, a grid. And I found myself to be a fan of, or, or you can do a list. And uh, I find myself a fan of the grid in some cases and a list in the other. Uh, but never a fan, never a fan of the fan. I don't know why, but um, yeah, just just not a fan of the fan. <laughs> anyway, so I am using I am using that. It it is nice to have those those uh, folders, the contents of those folders, just a click or two away, and uh, makes life very easy. Also on the Mac, I use Skype quite a bit. It's a program that I'm using all the time to interact with co-hosts. Uh, during live shows, I do a lot of interviews. I do a lot of uh, consulting calls via Skype. Uh, love it for instant messaging with my virtual assistant. Uh, so Skype is a definite must-have on my Mac or any computer that I would use. But definitely now, uh, it was it was it's nice that I have something that I was always used to using, and it all was also works on the Mac. And uh, the other thing that I will tell you is. Uh, the Firefox browser, it was probably, I think the Firefox browser is the coolest thing in the world for a Mac switcher because it's something that looks almost identical as far as its functionality and layout as the PC counterpart. And it's the thing that we use the most, right? I mean, aren't we browsing the web uh, forever? And so, so I will tell you this, the Firefox browser 
is so much more stable on the Mac system as it than it is on the PC. J- just far more reliable. Uh, and I, I'm still, matter of fact, before I switched over to the Mac, I had become a Chrome, uh, a, primarily a Chrome user on the PC. But when I switched to the Mac, I went back to Firefox and Firefox is, it, it's just my browser of choice and I love it. And also because of that, I use Xmarks, which allows me to, of course, sync up all of my bookmarks among different browsers and different computers. But here's another reason why I love Xmarks is that they have a downloadable program, a disk image file that you can actually download and install on your Mac. And it will take all of your bookmarks that you have uh, saved and it will sync them to Safari for you. Now, obviously, I do not use Safari on the Mac. I just it's just not for me. So what I however, I use my iPad and I do browse the web using mobile Safari on the iPad all the time. And I would I will tell you this, if it were not for X marks, I probably would not browse the, the web nearly as much as I do now. But I love the fact that when I open up my iPad and I open up Safari, it's got all of my regular Firefox bookmarks there. And because of that, I find myself easily navigating all of all of the things that I want to navigate on my iPad. And that's because what's going on is I use X marks to sync all of my Firefox Firefox uh, bookmarks down to Safari on my Mac, and then iTunes has a setting where you can take and and sync all of your Safari bookmarks to your iPad. And so, very very awesome stuff. And then, my friends, I do have one final piece of software that I find myself using all the time, and that piece of software, my friends, and it has saved me so much time and and it really has helped me earn a lot more money because of the time that I've saved and my friends that software is text expander unbelievable unbelievable absolutely awesome text expander allows me to type in just a couple keystrokes maybe four or five little <coughs> excuse me four or five little keystrokes and, and it, it will put in paragraphs of information. And it used to be that I used to type up these messages individually and all that other stuff. Not anymore. I, I In fact, I used to type it all so much and I would kind of just browse through and I would, and, it, and, sometime, and every time I would communicate the same thing, it would sound different every time and never really extremely well thought out because I didn't have time to do it all the time well thought out. So instead, what I do now is when I say something to somebody in an email that I say all the time, instead of just rushing through it, I actually take a lot of time to actually word it in the best way possible. And then I go up and I save that as a, as a what we call a snippet. And basically, I go in and just type a couple keystrokes. And from that point forward, anytime I want to say that one thing, it goes out in, a, in just like a half a second. It's just awesome. So text expander. And I just want to say this, my friends. There's no way ever that you could get me to go back to a PC. Not at all. I am a Mac only user as far as the primary PC, primary computer use is a Mac only. I don't think I could even personally get by on anything less than my 27 inch. I mean, I think the 27 inch for me 
has definitely made this even more easy for me to adapt and to accept into my day-to-day life. So, yeah. There you go, my friends. I am a Mac-only person, have been for months now, and I love it. Now, the only exception to this, and I will say, is that I do have Windows XP running in Space 2 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and I find myself using it for all of my professional work that I do in my uh, in my in my audio podcasting con- uh, content producing business. That is that is the one thing that I'm I'm turning back to the uh, PC for. You know, if Adobe Audition came out for the Mac, I would buy it a third time. I literally I, I'd pay three hundred forty nine dollars a third time to buy it for the Mac. And then, my friends, I would shut down my Windows XP virtual machine. I would shut down Parallels, and I would say goodbye to the PC world forever. Anyway, folks, God bless you all. Thank you for listening. Chris should be back next week. We'll talk to you then. Until then, join the community.